to welcome back to the Performance Through Health podcast. Uh, today we've got David Jackson. Uh, David was an ex-professional rugby player. Um, I think you were the fullback when I was at Nottingham Trent University. So that would have been back in 2007. I was there. Mighty till, Trent University. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know, I know a little bit of your backstory. I know that your, your career ended quite abruptly. I don't really know too much about it. And okay. then I was trained by Tim. Uh, at okay, universities, yeah, yeah. so I know your story of, of uh, co-founding the School of Calisthenics, yeah. and uh, then you made a transition over into to breath work. And for for a rookie player, that's quite uh, you know a profound thing to do because you know big big guys, you didn't really think you're going to sit down and do some breathing. So I'd love to hear a bit of bit, bit of your backstory before we we dive into the nitty gritties of breathing and what it what it means to you. Yeah, um, no, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's been an interesting, um, interesting journey. When my so in 2013, I had a, a head injury, which was probably like say you know I'd had maybe like ten relatively serious head injuries during my career, but always made a recovery. But it was taking longer for me to recover, and they were getting it was getting easier to knock me out. And the the final one was just in training, playing touch. Two of us on the same team just banged into each other, trying to catch the same ball. So it wasn't even an opposition. It wasn't a tackle. It was nothing. Completely innocuous. And I had a, a seizure, so I had a fit on the on the floor, on the field. Um, I mean, one of the guys, one of my mates said, like, he was, like, next to us. And initially he said it was about to start laughing because two of you banged in catching the ball. It just looked funny. And then um, you, I started fitting on the floor and put me in the recovery position and tried to make sure I didn't swallow my tongue. Uh, luckily, I don't remember any of that. Uh, and I'm glad that I don't. Um, but yeah, I, I actually tried to get back to playing for about, for quite, for a few months, about three months or so. Um, uh, but I just couldn't, my, anytime I tried to do anything, my symptoms were just like, yeah, I just couldn't shift my symptoms. It was, I just wasn't getting any better. And it was, it was, um, yeah, what's going on? So I had a, um, I ended up having some scan. I had some initial scans that seemed to suggest it was. Then I had an MRI at the about. This was about six months later um, when I still wasn't improving, and um, I moved five months later. But anyway, um, and that showed a scar on the brain from a bleed that I'd had. And the specialist had said, you know, you, well, the way they put it was, there's no actual rules in rugby or laws in rugby to stop you playing again if you wanted to. But she said like. The consequences are serious um, and, uh, you know, worst case scenario is, you know, when you, if your brain is, is damaged and you have to get knocked out again, you, you know, that ultimately you could die and that unfortunately does happen. Um, in boxing, she explained in boxing, if, um, if a professional boxer can't take a standing 10 count, they have to have an MRI scan. Um, and if anything comes up on their scan, like mine did, um, then, then they take their license off them. So it made that decision very clear for me. It was like, I, I've got to give up. I was 31 at the time. So I just signed a new two-year contract, but I was coming to the end of my career. I was very lucky that I had a, a, a long career um, and very grateful for that. But yeah, it took me then like a year to be able to run without getting without getting headaches and my symptoms. But after that, felt like I'd made a full recovery, um, something I was completely unaware of until probably about 2017, 18 was uh, the impact that concussions and head, head injuries have on our breathing. So I'd retrained after playing rugby uh, to become a strength and conditioning coach, worked with my business partner, um, Tim Stevenson, 
like I said, we were working, he was a strength conditioning coach, working a lot in Paralympic sport after we'd done the university work with teams like yourselves and um, worked with athletes up until Rio 2016, carried on doing a little bit um, until the um, last cycle with Tokyo. Um, and sort of alongside that strength conditioning, we started the, the school car sense, which was bodyweight training, which was mm. taking some of these principles that we learn and trying to have a bit of fun with our own training and people can search um what's what what kind of science is but like things like handstands muscle ups human flags um that's why my i i, I always wanted to do a human I've, i'd seen a human flag it's like someone horizontal off a pole thinking like is that real like it just looks like when you see a photo like is that photoshopped and seeing someone seeing a video of someone doing it going okay that's now a video so it's probably not photoshopped and then like how do you do that it just yeah, I'd lost the love of physical training when I mm. when I when I retired from rugby, and trying to do something exciting like that got my love for for training back. Like I always thought, which was really interesting. I always thought I would um, once I finished playing rugby, it was like I love the gym, I love lifting weights. It was like, yeah, I'll just like basically do bodybuilding. That's what I'll do. Like I, I just assumed that would be the case, but I massively lacked motivation once I was able to get back into to training. I mean, running. Running, it was nice to be able to run and not get headaches after, say, like a year. But I, I was so unfit; it was like horrible, <laughs> and I actually really struggled to run like a five k. Um, and but what's been interesting for me as I've got into the the breathing and the breathwork is that running's been a beautiful tool for me to learn more about my breathing. Mm. That then is helping like restore dysfunctional breathing patterns that have, have come from now I understand and having seen where the research is on concussions and dysfunctional breathing or affecting your respiratory center. It's, it's pretty much if you've had a concussion, you don't have to be had a bad being knocked out like cold, like I was, or have a fit or a, a bleed or anything like a concussion can have an impact on our, on our breathing patterns, our respiratory center. And you know, one of the papers I read, it was it was basically suggesting like if you've had a concussion, it will have affected it. Like there was it just the two go hand in hand. And then there's also this relationship with the the brain gut axis. So actually, yeah. that was another interesting one. I had some um, some skin issues that are like still still working on actually. So when you think of have I made a full recovery, it's like well, I never used to have these skin issues before my head injury. Hmm. Um, and now I do. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's like, okay, like, and someone could argue that it's not to do that. It's going to be to do with something else. But um, and had you noticed, had you noticed the breathing? Like, actually, if it wasn't for going through that education and learning about the concussion and the breathing, had you noticed breathing issues related to a change after the incident? Yeah. So I think this is one of the things that I think is really interesting with breathing is that, like, if you're when if if at rest you can breathe dysfunctionally and like you can breathe potentially very dysfunctionally. And that's it's like, it's like the silent assassin at rest when your breathing isn't being challenged. But as we sit here now, someone sat watch listening or watching like the amount of oxygen you need coming in and the amount of CO2 being created, like it's not huge amounts that's going to challenge your breathing. So you can breathe really badly at rest and you potentially like can be blissfully unaware. Um, and it's only when your breathing starts to get challenged, you might sort of notice things um, and exercise might challenge it or stress might challenge it. And then you start to notice things like I would, I would hold an awful lot of tension 
around my like neck and shoulders and upper upper chest like um and that tightness coming like like literally restricting range of motion at the at the shoulder i had i mean part of my head injury was like a whiplashing effect so i, mm. I had issues with my neck for like um for, for, for years and sometimes still can to be honest um but a lot of that has improved so there was these like physical things that i wasn't resolving with like your classic you know strength and conditioning let's stretch it let's mobilize it let's let's strengthen it like all these things it was like not getting clearly not getting to the root cause for me and then just sort of in general it's like i feel like i'd made a full recovery but it felt the way i describe it is like something just wasn't quite right and whether it's like a it, I sort of think it's like an intuition thing or something, but I just started to, it felt like, you know, when you're in your car and you pull mm. off and you're like, something's not quite right here. And then you realize the handbrake's slightly on. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, so I've got like an old van that's had turned into a camper van and it's not one of these fancy ones where if you have the handbrake on, it doesn't beep at you. Like there's none of that. You, you manually got to like do it. So you can pull away with the handbrakes. Still on. Um, and life just felt like that. I, something was slightly holding me back and I was like, trying to figure out so if something's potentially not quite right and it's something that is it, it, it must be something that I'm not aware that's going on has the potential to influence like lots of things what might and, and when breathing I don't know for whatever breathing started to come up as one of these things mm. that, you know you'd hear someone talking about it and someone else and you're like okay I'm gonna look at this and it, it ticks some of those boxes of like I think having understood at least from a strength conditioning perspective that like okay, breathing's a movement pattern. So, um, you know, we can do any movement pattern wrong. If I'm breathing 20 odd thousand times a day, if I, I imagined it's like doing a squat, like to, a bodyweight squat isn't very hard. But if I do it really bad 20,000 times during a day, like my hips and my knees are probably going to hurt. So if I'm breathing, I just started to ask the question, like if I'm breathing wrong or slightly off, I don't really be like terrible at it, but slightly off, could that be affecting like how I'm feeling? Could that be affecting some of the tightness I'm getting around like my shoulders and neck and stuff? And I was like, yeah, probably that, that, that makes sense. Like it's worth exploring. And then the, my, my sort of the opening Pandora's box sort of started with the question of, so the next question was, okay, are you breathing right? Yeah. And I was just like, well, I don't know. And, and, you know, Google couldn't tell me straight away. So it's like, I've got to, and, and then it was like diaphragmatic breathing. Okay, right, get it. Am I, am I using my diaphragm? I was like, I don't know. Like, am I, and it was like, am I doing it right? Like, I remember seeing one of my friends, a very good physio, works with like British athletics. Was like, am I breathing right? And it's like trying to, and then even someone like I was like, I wasn't um, Pat, um, Patrick McKeon of, um, of the Oxford Advantage, so I got introduced to the Oxford Adventures by Richie Norton. Um, don't yeah. you come across him? Yeah, we're probably following each other on social media. Yeah, and he, um, so he used to train with Oxford Advantage and XPT. I said to him, mate, I'm, I'm like, I need to know more about this breathing stuff. Like, I want to, what, have you got any books you recommend? And he just straight away, like, didn't, um and out, he was like, hmm. read the Oxford Advantage. So I read that, and then I became this really annoying person that was like, <laughs> trying, I was like, Ah, uh, everyone, we've got to breathe through your nose. I remember like saying to my wife's um, mum, so my mother-in-law going, ah, oh, you've got to breathe through your nose. And she was like, what? Like, you know, when you're just, mm. you're, you're excited by it. So yeah. like, 
you don't give any rationale or explanation. It's just like, it's really important. You've got to do it. This book says you've got to do it. You know, I'm not even very good at reading. And I did not put that book down. I've I read that book as, as fast as I've read anything. And um, I guess at the start, the and as you said, at the start, the whole mindfulness and like practicing your breathing and all that I found really difficult. And it wasn't mm. that wasn't what got me excited about it. I mean, years ago, I remember putting on a you know, hearing stuff about meditation, meditation really good. And it was like, I like the idea of doing meditation, that would be cool. And then like putting a meditation on YouTube is just like swooshing of waves. And I was like, sat there for like one second was like, this ain't me. Like I can't do this. Um, so I wasn't into the thing that got me with it was like, okay. So it, I'd read the book. It was like, okay, this is important. I'm trying to solve out these things. But the, the hook that got me was I'd got to being able to run um, and, and start, you know, I said of running at the start, I couldn't do. And then I was terrible, like so unfit when I first did it. And like my missus was just like smashing me on all these runs. Um, but I got, I, I, I built back up and we were doing park run, like a 5k park run once a week. And um, I didn't really do any training during the week for running. All my, all my training was like body weight, calisthenics, body weight, strength style stuff. But I do a run, we do a park run once a week. And nothing changed for six weeks other than during my day to day, uh, I was trying to nasal breathe. And whenever I did go on a run, I would try to nasal breathe, but I wasn't very good at it. My nose was all blocked. It was like snot pouring out. It was like pretty miserable. Um, and I just like sort of like tried to push through or whatever and, and just, but I was consciously trying to breathe through the nose. And I understood one of the things was that um, we want to stay away from this like <laughs> fast panting breathing. If you're running and getting out of breath, it's much more efficient to breathe larger breaths and slower breaths. And breathing through the nose helps facilitate that. But when you first start, your nose is that blocked and that not used to it that actually you can't. And your CO2 tolerance is that bad that you, you just can't handle it. So you end up mouth breathing quite quickly. But at least going big in and, and big out. So I went and did this six weeks. I'd just been trying to nasal breathe and just doing, doing terrible at doing the basics, but just doing something. And I did this park run in Sheffield, never been to that park run before, um, crossed the finish line. I was trying to do my nasal breathing. didn't last very long. And I was like, stay doing big breaths and slow. Crossed the finish line. Didn't feel like I'd done particularly well. Uh, I think I'd gone off too hard at the start and a lot of people were passing me later on. Um, didn't think I'd done very well. My previous PB was like 20 minutes, 15. And, um, I crossed the finish line. I didn't even look at my watch because I was like a bit disappointed. I was like, I don't think I did very well on that. And you'd never done the course for, so you didn't know where the end was. And it was like, oh, we're at the end now. Um, looked at my watch after a few minutes. And I was like, I've just run 19 minutes, like 16. And I was like, hold on a minute. I could have broke 19 minutes then because I, I had some left in the tank. I could have sprinted the end if I knew where the end mm. was. And I was like, whoa, like, there's something to this. And I hadn't even done this yeah. right. I was like, I haven't even done it right. I've just been like doing it terribly. So I was yeah. like, that was like my hook. I was like, this is a real thing. This is, this is, this is important for like a sports performance, but that got mm. me excited about that element of it. And I, I think, think and, um, and I still love that element of it. The softer things around like sleeping better, managing stress better, being more um, more present because you are practicing and naturally like now I can sit down or lie down and just breathe for 10 minutes if I wanted to because I've got this like um, I'm not doing it just for the sake of just being still for the time you I'm getting that stillness but it's been 
it's been a like I want to improve the way that I breathe and seeing breathing as a movement pattern as a skill to try and practice and you know can I breathe with my diaphragm better can I can I do these things and you know that then sort of becomes the meditation practice that I couldn't have didn't have the ability to do before and interestingly probably very difficult to meditate before if I was breathing quite dysfunctionally because one of the first of things you'll do is like focus on your breathing and if your breathing's difficult it's difficult to then focus on it and breathe on it so, sorry that's I think we, <laughs> no thanks yeah, thank, thanks Jacko I think that just shows like uh you know two things obviously we, we need to see results and when you get results it's like okay all of a sudden you're like yes that's noticeable and I think I come up the probably the opposite way to it is you whereas i came now i was I, I was a respiratory scientist at queen's medical center for for three years and then moved to australia and i remember the first year i moved to australia someone uh, said to me have you read the oxygen advantage and i just dismissed it i was like oh now it's like we know everything about breathing like you know it's it's just all uh, pseudoscience and stuff like that and yeah. for me for a couple of years i was really kind of naive and i think yeah universities sometimes put you that way a little bit, especially when you study breathing, because there's so many exercise physiologists that just believe when they see the screens that they're looking at, it's just that way. And that's the way it has to be. And all of a sudden, like becoming a bit wiser and a bit more open, I started to recognize a pattern in a lot of my patients that would come for breathing issues. So come for lung function tests, barometry, and all those sort of things. And they come back and their lungs would be absolutely fine. And they'd be like, well, why have, I, why have I got breathing problems? And I started to question, like, you know, how stressed are you? You're anxious? You know, like, yeah, I've got terrible anxiety. I like, always have. And then I start to notice people just at rest. And I'm like, yeah. ah, hold on here. Hold on a second. And then it wasn't until someone put the book in front of me again and said, oh, have you read this book? And I was like, no, I'm going to have to have a read of it now. And yeah. it just made, it made a sense with what was aligning with what I was seeing in the clinics. And then I had a guy come to me. Same thing, breathing issues, very stressful background. I think he'd gone through testicular cancer and a pulmonary embolism and he was on his recovery a year later and he was just breathing heavily through the mouth, but his lung function was fine now. And I said to him, I think I can help. I think there's another way that you can do it. The doctors are not going to be able to do for you because they've not read this book that I've read and that <laughs> many people have read. Um, do you want to give it a go? Eight weeks later, his HRV is improved. His, his shortness of breath had dropped by 80%. Uh, his stress levels were down. He was happy as like, Barry. He was honestly like, my family and friends have never seen me so calm and relaxed and peaceful and feeling good about myself. And that for me, just kind of, that was maybe right, two years ago. It just clicked and I went, I'm going to keep doing this for everyone I see yeah. who doesn't get the results they want from the doctors and I'm going to keep going. And, it, and it's, not, it's not complicated stuff. This is the thing no. I love about it. Like Patrick's done a great job in making the, um, so Patrick McKeon, the author of that book, has, has done a great job in bringing the, the research over the last sort of 20 years or so, like picking it apart or bringing it together in a way that like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's relatively easy to understand even, you know, it can, it can get complex at times, but it's, hmm. it's, it's the way it's put then into like, ultimately like, what do we need to do? What's the, what some of the exercises to do? We can do very little with, with patients and clients and see some, some huge changes. I, I, as well, so I work with some like professional um, athletes and some professional like rugby teams here in the UK, but also there's a, um, a, a private GP that I work with who refers on patients that she sees 
we've we've had quite a few discussions and 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 she's really aware of like the breathing side of it now and how that can affect like the nervous system how they like their digestive system like inflammation like all these things that she's like she's looking out for those things in their like in their story and then she's observing their breathing and if she sees that they she she's seeing like some dysfunctional breathing she thinks it's part not the the, the cure all things but mm-hmm. she thinks it's part of potentially the recovery for this person i'm one of the well, i'm one of the people within her team of you know she's got hers the, the doctor she's got a nutritional therapist she's got breathing she's got yoga she's got all sorts of, of people that she can access for the client but if she thinks that they need to work on their breathing they, they come and see me for a few sessions we do them over zoom but through the, mm-hmm. all through the pandemic so we're not even seeing them in person and you know sometimes after just one my favorite ones i had had one that uh, they after the first session they were like the next time so one week later they were like jacko i've got to say like it's been ridiculous, like incredible. And it was like, the funniest thing is, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, Jacko, but when I got referred to see a breathing coach, I was like, what is that going to do for me? But I'll give it a go. Like, so actually it was starting with a mindset, like didn't think it was going to do anything. Mm. And then, um, and you know, one of the things, one of the things, one of the things that impacted them the most is just as simple as this. They like we'd we'd noticed uh, that there um, there was quite a few like uh, dysfunctions around like just taking these like these large <sighs> like sighs and and things um, in just like a, a few minutes of conversation and we talked about just having a pause at the end of those and the stillness that was created in that pause of just stopping trying to help his blood gases stabilize a bit but the the space or the the stillness that gave him it was like and i was like oh was that it that it was that was all you that was all you needed like we did some <laughs> other as well but yeah like, of course that like that for him and it's that's one of the beautiful things about about breathing it's it's happening all the time it's it's not complicated depending on how where you're so someone that's listening depending on where you're at with it like it 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 may take longer more effort first to to be able to like restore some of these things but you can feel some some improvements within like one exercise of doing something mm. um and and feel and feel a difference and feel and feel better but over a over a longer period of time it probably um has those sort of like longer um impacts on us where it starts to become part of those habits you know i've probably say been trying to work on my breathing for like three or four years and still every like even literally this morning when I was doing some uh, I like to just do like a, I, I hit snooze on my alarm and I like do a, do some like some some slower breathing just to set the tone for the day and even today I felt like I just had my diaphragm like I just felt like I'd learned a bit about like just the the, the softness of that movement when I was trying to slow it down and just yeah I, I could feel I felt like I was learning and it's, it's that it's, it's there for you to carry on improving. Um, that's a, that's a topic that 
that keep come, keeps on coming up with every conversation that I have with breathing. It's, it's essentially, it boils down to learning awareness of your own body and your own mind. Like it, there's the two key factors. Obviously there's the, the protocols we can use, the methods we can use to improve things like CO2 tolerance and the way we breathe, but it starts off with that. Just placing the focus on your breathing is going to create some learning for you. Um, one thing that I love to say about breathing is, is that it's not like any other form of health coaching where they have to try and take something away you've got to go on a restrictive diet you've got to go hard (laughs) in the gym it's like we give people something that is uh good for them in the moment it's going to make you feel good in the moment but also in the long term it's also going to make you feel good as well so i see it as a win-win um and that's what that's what i love about it but i think we had a nice segue into there of obviously uh, you said you wake up in the morning, like to do a bit of a slow breathing to set your day. What sort of things are you doing with your current training at the moment? And how have you integrated breathing into that? Um, yeah, so uh, that's, that's a really good question. And one that I'm I'm very passionate about trying to help people make breath work just normal. Like not like this thing. It's, it's not like, okay, you might go and do a yoga class or you might do a Pilates class or you might do go for a run. Like they're all additional things within your day that you're going to like, do an activity or do something you're always breathing when you're doing those things so rather than being like okay on monday evening i'm going to do some breath work and it might be that you do some like sessions where you like spend some time doing something specific just breathing but for the vast majority of us it's about improving the way that i breathe when i'm when i'm doing stuff already and using the thing that you're doing as a as a tool to uh, help you focus or improve your breathing or challenge your breathing because we get better by challenging it and get then getting better getting better from it um and so if we can do that in terms of weave it in to the stuff that people are already doing whether you're a professional sports person or whether or whether you're not it doesn't it doesn't matter we all have the same challenges of if i ask you i love what you said there about like with breathing you're not taking anything away Mm. but for some people mentally it's almost like you're asking me to do something more and making me do more i'm already busy like that's going to be difficult whereas it's like no when you're doing x i want you to breathe like this when you finish doing that exercise i want you to try and do this for your recovery before you go to bed like so the things that uh, potentially extra but they're not that really much extra are i like to top and tail the day so before doing something before you go to bed to create that relaxation response to set a tone for your breathing so that you're going to sleep better and mm-hmm. that's that's literally whilst you're lying in bed before you actually fall off to go to sleep i want you to focus in on your breathing rather than scrolling on your phone like that's not really okay we're taking away the scrolling on your phone but that's not good for you anyway so um that's not like that's not like an extra th- thing really it's just like focus on your breathing while you're down slow the breathing down and make it make it slower make it lighter make it more gentle i also like to do i personally like it and recommend it for for when i'm working like if i'm working one-on-one with someone i'll talk about doing something to set the tone of your breathing for the for the day in the morning so that could look like actually uh being able to open up and, and, and mobilize um uh, your ribcage and that type of thing um it might be working on some of those uh some of those mechanics of breathing if that's what people um need the most or it can be or it might be as well a little bit on like the 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 speed or the cadence and the the, the like the biochemistry side of it like trying to s- slow down and change our sensitivity to carbon dioxide 
or it might just be one of those things. For me, in the in the morning, what and this is just what works for me is I, I hit snooze on my alarm. My alarm on my iPhone snooze, I think, is it nine minutes or something? So I know I've got nine minutes where I will have done something. If I do nothing else during the day about my breathing, at least I've I've set that in the morning and I know that I'll do it before I go to bed at night because it makes me sleep better. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things when you feel better from it, then you'll do it. Um, and actually, I'll either do something, I'll either might do um, some very simple, like four in, six out following like a breathing bubble on an app could be it could be as simple as that it depends on how i'm how i'm feeling potentially it could be um more box breathing with some like either extending the size of the box or particularly like the when i'm trying to work on like improving co2 tolerance like having longer exhalations um or one i'm have been doing a lot of recently and actually with my pulse oximeter on is really slowing down the breathing through relaxation at first as slower 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 slow so bring it down see how my feeling of how i'm breathing relates to what my pulse oximeter is actually telling me trying to bring it trying to bring it down and then actually getting to the point of building up some air hunger that's completely manageable and tolerable and say my uh, my spa2 might have gone from like 98 down to like 96 or mm-hmm. maybe 95 but then actually then just continuing to slow it down and and then starting to minimize it and so i'm breathing less air in than I actually want and bring it down a bit further and then i'm actually then i go through a phase where i'm actually working hard to bring yep. it down i'm not doing a breath hold but i sort of am um <laughs> and interesting i've been i, I can like like so this morning and, and I see that the adaptation is taking place. I can now much easily, much easier. That's the right word, isn't it? It's easier for me to get it down. I'll get down this morning down to 91 in not that much of a struggle. But then it's challenging my diaphragm loads of like, I can feel me. Can I, how well in control of that am I? Alongside mm. the emotional response of like, ah, it feels like I want to breathe. And just that CO2 tolerance or sensitivity to it. Um, and what I've noticed with that, that has is having quite an impact on my um, on then the other parts of my breathing training. So when I then go and do breath holds, yep. like without training, like I went through a phase where I actually left, didn't do breath holds, and was just working on this, and then went back to breath holds after a few weeks, and like my breath holds like were way better. Yeah, okay. I'm still working on that CO2 yeah, yeah, tolerance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Still getting the adaptation um, in the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's it's quite. It's actually really quite interesting to do it with the pulse oximeter. You see the mm. delay in the feeling and sensation before it actually circulates and gets through to the to your pulse oximeter. But and emotionally, what you think that air, what that air hunger feeling gives you, and what you think that must be. It's like oh, my bloods must have really dropped now because mm-hmm. I feel like I need to breathe a bit more. And then you're like, no, <laughs> it's <laughs> like, well, if, if normal is 99 to 95, I'm still well within normal here. Um, oh, no, it's, it's amazing the feat of the, the, how far the human body can go with this. I think there's a, a paper where they did a case study on a yogic where he did 30 seconds in, 30 seconds out for an hour straight. And they looked at his blood gases and his blood gases were like, uh, you know, 
for someone who just come off a uh, five sets of Wingate tests, 30 second sprints all out, you know, his CO2 was through the roof, his acidity was all over the place. And he was just there breathing calm, relaxed, like been doing it for 17 years, mind. But, uh, but like, you know, we, we, we're out and that's not something we've ever really thought about in terms of blood gases. We look at blood gases and go, Oh, if they're, if they're, if CO2 is rising, that's bad for us. We shouldn't do that. Oh, no. So, but it's not right. It's uh, we can have that adaptation and you can say that can lay over into the, the other types of things you do if you train it. Yeah. So then what I'll notice, and this is from my own self and then, and, and working with athletes is that, when I'm able to manage my breath better, when I'm able to um, train the diaphragm, improve the functionality of the diaphragm and strength and endurance of the diaphragm, like I'm able to facilitate a, when I'm then exercising, so I might be running, I ran my first like coastal marathon um, last year. When I'm, when I'm needing to get a lot of air in, like I've, I've, I've trained that respiratory, um, the ability to actually, do that like so i'm 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 training the efficiency of how it comes in but then also as part of that i'm i'm training my ability to tolerate the extra the additional co2 that's being built up during um during exercise so it's not that co2 is not sending my breathing out of whack <laughs> into like yeah. i can't catch my breath now plus i'm i'm a technique from the other side as well we're like working on how well i can expand the rib cage the more I can expand the ribs the more i can increase that uh, lung capacity and when we've been working on challenging our breathing separately away from exercise, because it can be quite difficult. You challenge your breathing in exercise initially, like you haven't practiced the two things separately. So you might, you've done plenty of exercise before, but practice your breathing. Okay, I've got quite good control of my breathing. Now I can make myself feel out of breath by lying still, by changing my breathing. Mm. So I can control my breathing. Then I, then I start exercising and I know what it's going to feel like when, breathe, when exercise is going to make my breathing go out of control. And I know how to control that. And I've practiced it separately together now. My exercise is then just going to expose how well am I actually at controlling my breathing. And when you've worked on how much you can get in, when you've worked on your CO2 tolerance, managing that airflow starts to become an enjoyable um, experience. And when I was training for the marathon, I did all of my training – I was trying to stay um, at a heart rate of 180 minus age. And that seemed that correlated nicely with, so I'm like 39, so one, four, one. <laughs> yeah. Um, that correlated nicely with what I could actually manage airflow with the nose. Yeah, okay. And what I was noticing was as time went on, that was a slow pace to start with. But gradually, it was like I'd, Whenever my, if I was going up a hill and my nose was starting to struggle a bit with the airflow, it's like you'd look at the, I'd look at my heart rate and it's like, again, my heart rate's gone up to like 150, 160. Like it's, 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 it's nudging that through when I can't manage that airflow. But then what I was noticing as I started to like practice this and hone this and like, I wasn't bothered about how fast I was going. I was like, it was my running pace. And whether I felt, whether I was like going, right, you've succeeded in this was like, have you managed the airflow through your nose? And as time went on, I was noticing that I would just be running at what my nose could manage. 
And then a few weeks later, I look at my watch and I'm like, okay, I was running six minute Ks before. Now I'm running five and a half minute Ks. And then what's my heart rate? Oh, my heart rate is still at what it was before. So mm. like, it's proved to me that like I've, I can feel that I feel more efficient, but it's the numbers are also telling me that I'm more efficient. Now, what's your recovery like when you finish a run like that? Well, I almost feel like I haven't got anything to recover from because I haven't yeah. got to that point of being completely out of breath. So my recovery is starting to improve. Um, I'm training now for an ultra where I've added a so, um, Anglesey in Ireland and Wales, 135 miles is the coastal route all around it in three days. So um, that's happening in September. My training is I'm taking that same approach where, so for the marathon, not on purpose, I just ran out of time. I never ran more than half a marathon in my training. So just, just, it, it takes a long time to run more than that, if you know what I mean. So it's like, <laughs> I just haven't got the time. I didn't have the time to, so I ran out of time for that. But all of my training had been done in that way of like, I wasn't killing myself to get there. And I remember during the actual marathon, um, running along and speaking to this lady and, and she looked like she'd done this a few times. So I was like, oh, have you? and she's like, yeah, she's done loads of marathons. She was like, how about you? I was like, well, it's my first one. She said, oh, how's it going? And I was like, well, it's quite exciting because we were like 21K in or something, 22K in. I was like, it's quite exciting for me right now because I've never ran this far before. And she was like, what? Like, she was like, take it easy. Like, this is unknown territory. And I was like, well, I feel all right because I've ran this far but not felt like I had to stop and was dying. So my approach for this next for this ultra is um my training is I've, i'm doing the whole thing with the same thing with managing airflow and, and managing my, my heart rate and that but um my, my goal of success is when i finish the run however long it is or where it is when i finished it do i can i truly answer the question right could you do that all again mm, so i'm trying yeah, to okay. whatever run i do it's like finish and be like i could do that again you know so did like do a do a 10k and just finish 10k and go like could you do that again yeah um i'm planning to do a 20k one tomorrow and it's going to be quite hilly so it's gonna be quite interesting but to finish it and be like could you do that again because the, the challenge is i'm going to for this ultra like i'm going to have to do it all, all all again three days um three days in a row so that's the that's the challenge mate i think that's uh one of the benefits of switching over to nasal breathing once you become adapted is is that you do almost feel like it's like wow okay that was quite easy like not saying easy, easy, but yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I, rem- I remember uh, the first time I really started to look into going, right, in exercise, I'm going to go nasal only. I'd followed um, a guy called Jason Donaldson. I don't know if you've come across him or not. He's over in Perth mm-hmm. in Western Australia. And he was a part of uh, the guys who sell Shift Adapt. And, uh, oh, no, yes, Brian. I think I have done. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he started posting like, a few workouts and just saying, you know, do this nasal, do that. And I just finished a powerlifting competition. So at the time, I was 103 kilos and I hadn't done any cardio for a while. But I was like, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm, I want to get back into being able to move again i want to lose the weight i want to get back down to actually you know having a bit of cardiovascular fitness and i said i'll just try this excess i'll just try this routine i had a few burpees in there i had some walled holds and it was all nasal breathing i did it with very slow pace but by the time i'd finished i was like that's not usually how i feel after i do cardio usually after cardio i feel like i'm scared because i'm having to catch my breath yeah. and i was like yeah hmm there's something to this. And I started to build upon that slowly, slowly. And then uh, I think just watching your stuff as well, being a bit inspired by just going for longer runs and seeing how it goes. I ended up entering a competition. It was only a 3K run followed by a swim, followed by another 3K run and a bit of a high intensity workout. But I said, I'm going to do the run nasal. I'm going to do it all nasal. I got two minutes in, this guy next to me starts talking and I'm like, 
I can't talk. I'm, I'm meant to be, <laughs> yeah, I'm meant to be strange, through my nose. <laughs> no, no. And I was like, really not excited. But like, I was like, I just dropped back a little bit just so the guy didn't think that I was just ignoring him. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but honestly, by the time I'd finished the whole thing, I said to myself, that was nowhere near as hard as I thought it was in my head. And I generally think that's down to the nasal breathing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it makes it, I think it really does have an impact. And yeah, the literature says that as well. There's some old literature yeah. from 1990s where yeah, brain state, meditative brain states appear during nasal breathing and exercise and things like that. And it all makes sense. Yeah. You feel, you feel calmer. The system is less stressed. The nervous system is less stressed. And we're not in that like, stressful breathing cycle it, it's more efficient i think it's i don't think it's one thing it's it's hitting from from a few different angles isn't it but ultimately yeah uh, and that to say like i've had a number of people like report that back like oh i've went on the like normally when i go on the like whatever machine in the gym like i find it flipping horrendous and like i did it i tried it nasal now it was wicked like it's amazing can't believe it but at the same time there's there's a lot of other people out there that will try like I did I tried to run to the end of my road nasal breathing which is like 50 meters away <laughs> and it was like pouring <laughs> down into my mouth it was horrendous and I was like this is terrible like nasal breathing for me running when I started was not good hmm. but I didn't then pack a sad and take the note of like oh well nasal breathing is not for me if that is you it means it's even more important that you yeah. work on it because Someone that tries to nasal breathe for the first time and finds it fine, well, actually, they're probably nasal breathing. They just weren't aware of it before. They're just thinking about doing it now, and then they can do it. Those of us that really struggle with it means you've not been using it. You've become maladapted, and it's really important for not just your exercise performance and recovery and all those things. It's really important for your like everyday health and well-being that you can breathe through your nose. Um, the the trying to do it whilst you're exercising is just expose the fact that you're not doing it and take it as a as a bit of an alarm bell if it's really really hard i need mm. to this is something i need to do something about i need to actually your nose is designed for breathing there's not like it's not like left and right-handed people like there's loads of right-handed people in the world and but there's still like you know there's left-handed people in the world and like you know which hand you use like you know you can use either one it's not like there's are uh, some people the nose is really good for them for breathing and other people they're designed for mouth breathing like we, we all have the function of the nose the same you might have differences in the size of your airway and things that it might be easier or harder for some people but ultimately all of us our nose is designed for breathing but if we've stopped using it then it will have become maladaptive 100 um so i do want to move on to into the sporting context now uh I think I, I wrote I wrote an article about Sergio Aguero and how there could be yes. the links between mouth breathing and, and cardiac issues. And there was a whole section dedicated to uh, cardiac in in the oxygen advantage. And I sent it over to Patrick, and he and he loved it. And what I got to be honest with you, I got a lot of shit for that because of the vaccine. Everyone was saying it's the vaccination, and I I not even followed his story to do with him and the work things. But we won't go into that anyway. But there were, one comment was made, and I think it really gives. Uh, us a question to consider and something that you can give back he said well uh, in sport aren't they meant to be able, aren't they meant to talk and aren't they meant to shout at each other and meant to communicate so uh, how do you expect them to keep their mouth closed all the time and uh, the person wasn't getting the facts you know trying to breathe nasally when you can in that situation so i'd love to just hear your thoughts of integrating nasal breathing into the sporting context and maybe just uh breathing uh, protocols into sporting context maybe warm up during game post recovery yeah 
And and I think this is the thing that's important is going, we understand that um, nasal breathing can be more efficient. There are, you know, some studies that suggest most people can work to sort of 80 or 90% of their like max. And there's a, a nice one that Dallum did in, was it 2018 with VO2 max with triathletes that had been practicing nasal breathing, um, adapted to it. And then they were able to, you know, they were working at their, their VO2 max test compared with nasal breathing and mouth breathing. And they were able to do it more and more efficiently at, with nasal breathing. But, and then we can get a little bit down a rabbit hole of and thinking that nasal is the only way and i've probably mm. been there in the past before of like oh don't ever open your mouth and i'll be doing <laughs> stuff like running up a hill going, <laughs> <laughs> and like my breathing i was managed to d- keep my mouth closed but my breathing was awful during it and how did i feel at the top of the hill i felt horrendous because i'd made it a very stressful um event so it's un- if we understand nasal breathing as as like okay yeah it's it's how we should be doing at rest it's going to form our foundation of breathing for good quality breathing and how we breathe during exercise is going to be built upon your foundation it's actually going to expose what, how well you are breathing at rest you don't start exercising and start breathing better if you were poor breather at rest um, and so in things like in our warm-ups, in our cool-downs, like we can be utilising our nasal breathing. We can do things in like in recovery periods where we might use nasal breathing to challenge our breathing recovery in training so that we get better for it in the competition or, or in the game. Um, but if we understand like why is nasal breathing better? So one of the things is it's going to provide resistance and slow down our breathing. Well, I can breathe through the mouth when I'm like getting to the point where I re- I just need that larger space of airway to be able to get air in. But rather than being in that <laughs> panting state where you never catch your breath because you're breathing so fast, I can still breathe through the mouth, but I can breathe in a way that is still using better mechanics. I can still be using my diaphragm, I'm not going to that shallow upper chest breathing. I can breathe in my diaphragm. <sighs> and I can make it slower and I can be quite purposeful about how I efficiently get oxygen in and, and manage that CO2 by mouth breathing when the nose can't facilitate that anymore. And particularly when you're working with in contact sports where, you know, people's noses might be all smashed up and stuff mm-hmm. as well. And if we think that, no, you've got to just only breathe through your nose and they might only be able to work at 50% of their intensity, like that's not going to work for them. We, they need to be able to work at maximum intensity. So it's finding a starting point for us and finding where you can utilize those benefits. But then even when you're mouth breathing or having to switch to mouth breathing, can you use those same principles that make nasal breathing efficiently, but with the, so can you still use the diaphragm? Can you, st- how well can you expand your rib cage? How are you filling that? Are you drawing it in from low down? And then like how you manage the speed that that, that that's happening at. And then if you keep working on those things, you're going to be able to, um, you'll notice that, Okay, maybe only for the first part of the warm-up you could nasal breathe, and then the second part of the warm-up started to the intensity was too high. But over time, like six weeks later, it's like, oh, I can do all of my warm-up nasal breathing now, and it feels really good. And you're starting to see some of those adaptations um, take place. There's some quite like interesting stuff where um, when we understand that like CO2 relationship and understanding when it's like become too much for me to handle, like, can I offload some of that purposely? Mm. Like dump like some a couple of big breaths to dump out some CO2 that's like sending me out of control once I've like either ran up a hill or whatever it may be, the, the intensity and like allow me to regain my breathing. It, there's some nice stuff like that that's like, again, it's still, it's not that, it's not complicated really, but it's 
It's some simple things, but it's just understanding what is happening with those gases and what's causing this. And then how can I potentially use that to my benefit of being quite specific with the way that I breathe? And, you know, I talk with, um, in the sporting context with, with like, from my rugby background, still quite enjoy doing stuff within rugby and, and talking to a rugby player. If I, if we're on the field and your your hands on hips going <sighs> before the next scrum, like yeah. we both know that you're knackered and I'm and I'm feeling better than you and I'm going to smash you. So it's like we know that body language wise, even if you know nothing about breathing, how someone's breathing is actually telling you quite a lot about their like state of like fatigue or state of readiness for the next thing. So not only do it so do it well so that you uh, recover more efficiently, but also do it well so that you feel better and also so that you look better to your teammates because your teammates don't want to see you looking like that and also sending a different message to the opposition with your body language of your breathing. Um, mm. Yeah, I think uh, I was listening to an interview with uh, George Foreman the other day and he was basically just saying that whenever he knew in boxing to go after someone and knock them out was if they were breathing heavy out their mouth in his yeah. ear when they were tied up he's like that's it that's when i went for it it's exactly. the cue exactly you know it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks very much jacko um now i appreciate us uh, chatting we've we've flew no, through it's it, come up to nine o'clock and um so if anyone wants to reach out for you for more information about your services and you know how you can help them uh, where, where do they go to to catch you um Probably like if those are on on social media, like Instagram is um, is uh, is a is a good place to find some stuff. I tried to put on some little tips and, and training things that people can to, to try out on there. So that's um, Jacko Human Flag uh, from my original love of, as I say, from from Human Flags that we said at the start. Um, if you if you want to send me some abuse, TikTok is very good for that. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned when you and you said like you were like oh what's this thing like I've had quite the number of comments on on a, on TikTok tends to be more like what no breathe it's not to do with carbon dioxide mate like it must be oxygen <laughs> um, so there's quite a bit of that on TikTok which is always always fun um, and then my website is um, rootedlife.co.uk um, there's a free I've got a free better breathing ebook on there for people if they want to like and but if you if you're starting out and you want to get get some help with some of the basics there's um, an ebook there with some information and uh, links to to three videos of, of three simple exercises you can try to get started with awesome i'll put that all in a link in the show notes and on youtube you and on the podcast uh, uh, uh apple podcast and stuff like that anyway all right thanks very much uh, buddy i uh no, appreciate the talk and uh glad to, glad to manage to dive, dive in and get to know you a little bit more yeah mate appreciate it loved it thanks very much all right buddy see ya see you next time.